Welcome back to the Bible Feed podcast. How good is it to be back in the chair, back in front of a mic, and uh, back from our summer holidays? Yes, my tan has well and truly faded. Um, <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah, we've given ourselves a bit of an extended break, haven't we? But we need to get back into it. We do. One more before the year closes. One more podcast, that is. Not holiday. No, no, no. <laughs> so, great to be here and great to share some more thoughts on the Bible and faith in the modern world with you all. I'm Dan, and as I've said, we've got Lawrence here with me. And we're going to relaunch Bible Feed, effectively, by going back to the Christmas story. Now, Lawrence, that's not Santa. That's not elves. Oh, I put the costume on and everything. Oh, I know. It's a good job this isn't a, a video podcast. <laughs> no, not, nothing to do with reindeer or tinsel or anything like that. Okay. It's, of course, the nativity story that we're going to talk about. The Christmas story about Jesus. Okay. The birth of Jesus. It's such a well-known story, isn't it? Even to people who are have no real Christian sort of faith or anything like that, if they're in the Western world, they will know the nativity story. They'll know about Jesus and, you know, that Christmas story. But we're going to dive into some lesser known aspects of this story to make it, I suppose, make it just a little bit more biblical. So what are we going to think about then, Lawrence? Yeah, not that the nativity story itself is not biblical. I mean, there's lots of the well, stuff that you see on the stage, <laughs> which is, is biblical. It's but clarification, thank you. <laughs> no worries, Dan, no worries. But it's more about Maybe looking around the edges of the nativity story, maybe some of the characters that we don't often look at and using them as a trigger to think about the group of Bible believers at the time and what they were waiting for. Okay, so we're going to center it around uh, an old gentleman called Simeon and an old lady called Anna. And maybe we'll throw in a couple of turtle doves and, and some young pigeons along the way as well. Great. And, and, a, and a partridge in a pear tree? Well, yeah, I couldn't find any biblical reference to partridges oh, okay. in the pear trees. So <laughs> it just sounded like you would get there in the end, but, but maybe not. Yeah, I know the 12 days of Christmas song and whatnot. So, yeah, what we're going to do, let's have a, have a look at Luke chapter 2. Uh, because obviously you'll know that Jesus appears in the gospel records and Luke is one of those gospel records. And we're, we're going to centre some of our thoughts in, in, in Luke chapter 2. So these events are, are focused at not necessarily Jesus's family and the things that happen in his family, but it's more about what people were looking at the Hebrew scriptures for. So the, the aim of the episode then is to use this passage in Luke 2 and these characters here, which don't really ever feature in a nativity play or anything like that normally, but they're, they're really front and centre in what happened in the events around the birth of Jesus. But what they do is they firmly place Jesus in a historical context, don't they? In a moment in time in the Jewish heritage, they place him in a moment in time that relates him so much to the Jewish scriptures and what people were expecting at that time. So quite often the nativity play, the nativity story will be seen outside of that context, outside of that culture, you know, in a nice Church of England village school in the in the UK. But we've got to lift it up from there, haven't we, and put it back into back into Bethlehem. <laughs> Any yeah, sense? We're looking at what is going on in the lives of people 
and what's their mindset and what scripture are they reading and what hope do they have? That's kind of what we're going to look at. So on that morning of, of, of those events, you know, it wasn't all about snowfall and presents and Rudolph and whatnot. It was about some individuals, Jews hoping for something. And that's what we want to think about. Sure. Because I think that will also help help us when we come to this time of year to go, you know, what is this event? How much of it is an epoch in the purpose of God? And how do we think about it? How do we get the same sense of anticipation that folks had in Bethlehem and surrounding area at that, at that time? Yeah, that sounds good. So, shall we jump into Luke 2 then? So, verse 21... At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So I suppose it's eight days after mm-hmm. that Christmas morning. But, you know, I, I think that's pretty very much connected to his birth. Eight days later, we can fit this into a, a nativity story. What strikes me with that is you, you, you get such a very Jewish thing straight away, don't you? He's, he's circumcised, like any... Jewish boy, like any Jewish boy at that time, he's circumcised. So it is absolutely makes him within that time and place and culture. Yeah. And it's interesting that Paul, later on in the Acts of the Apostles, he talks about people being circumcised on the eighth day as being a symbol of being like a Jew. Like, uh, I'm yeah. a Jew of the Jews, like circumcised on the eighth day, like I'm a really good, proper Jew. And so what what we're seeing here is a link back, isn't it, to that sign of the covenant that happens yep. all those years ago in, and we find rooted in the Old Testament. Absolutely. It links him to Abraham, to, to all those things. So that's pretty cool. Shall I carry on reading then? Oh, that's, yes, please, Dan. Um, I was loving the you. dulcet I thought, tones. I thought I did a good job. <laughs> and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Okay, so what's going on there? This isn't yeah. normally on the, on, a, on that Yorkshire school, Church of England school no. <laughs> stage, is I, it? I, I, I forget that scene. <laughs> I don't think I was no, ever involved right. in that scene. Yeah. You know, you have to go back into your Old Testaments and you have to go to Leviticus, Leviticus 12, and it's all about purification. If you remember, we did some podcasts about these Leviticus and we talked about purification. So one of these was what you had to do after childbirth. So what you can see here is the parents of Jesus doing the right thing from a sort of Jewish okay. point of view. Yeah. And, and just reading on then, actually. So the next verse carries on. I, I stopped halfway through a sentence. Um, it says that they, and they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Oh, there we go. There we are. So, so we've got two of our characters there. Excellent. So we'll have two children dressed up, two as a, some turtle doves <laughs> and two as some young pigeons. Okay. So... And that's interesting, isn't it? Because when you go back, it's not really what we're going to be looking at. But just as an aside, in Leviticus, this purification ritual, if you choose a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, it, it's effectively a replacement for more expensive animals, isn't it? So this tells you a little bit about 
Mary and, and Joseph, they weren't very well off because they bought the meagre offering. You know, it was a big offering for them, but it was the lesser value one. So we're sort of building up a, a picture, really, of them, these thoroughly Jewish people living in Judea, not very well off and doing exactly what is prescribed for them in the book of Yeah, and he's being treated like any other human child that's born. You know, this would have happened after every birth. So there's this, you know, this process that's illustrated in Leviticus and was played out over, you know, all of those years from Leviticus through to here in Jesus' time. And it was all linked with a covenant, like these promises that God was making to the nation of Israel about mm. hope and about the future and about something covenanted. Yeah, the, these little features from the law and from, from Leviticus, they're reminders of mortality, aren't they? Like very much so. Mm. And you did the Leviticus episode with Paul, didn't you? Yeah. To anyone who has not, not gone back in the, the archives, not, not that far away, I don't think. I think it was this year. You know, it's really interesting how that, that was teaching them so much about these things they inevitably happen as a consequence of our mortality um but at mm. this point jesus is, is just in the world as an ordinary child an ordinary boy a baby boy circumcised on the eighth day all these purification rituals happen he's he's part of israel part of the his the covenant that god had with israel by birth he's thoroughly part of that that moment as well yeah. of, in that moment of history yeah, and it's interesting. I remember Paul did a lot of study on the structure of Leviticus for, for that session. And what I really um, was struck by uh, when Paul was describing it was the central part of Leviticus. Like Leviticus, is like, it's not your, you know, snuggle up on a, on a Sunday evening with a book type of read. It's, you know, you know, lots of laws of purification, sacrifices, what happens when you get leprosy, da, 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 all these kind of things. And in the middle of that, Paul illustrated that you've got the Day of Atonement, mm. which, and it's pointing forward to, yeah. you know, that something is going to come. Okay. So, we've hit quite quite immediately with the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, of course, Mary and Joseph, they didn't call it the Old Testament, did they, at that time, when they no, considered no. the scrolls of, of Leviticus, but they certainly would have thought about it as the Torah the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, T-N-K, which is where the Tanakh mm. com word comes from, isn't it? The, the law, the prophets and the writings. So, you know, three sections of, of scripture, which is basically our Old Testament, isn't it? But ordered in a different way. So we need to perhaps bear that in mind. But let's read a little bit more, find out what happens next, because we haven't got to the old man and the old lady yet, have we? So, back in Luke 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mm. Wow. Great reading, Dan. We've found Simeon, the old man. So I think this is a, a tremendous passage. Here is an old man who has just been waiting for something for his whole life, and he's waiting for that thing to happen, and he knows that when it's happened, he can pass on, he can die. It's all good. <laughs> God's purpose is moving forward, and his salvation is here. So Simeon, when he looks at Jesus and the birth of Jesus, he sees the culmination of a whole load of things that he's got in his mind of that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, that the Christmas story often seems like it's the the beginning, isn't it? You know, God's just deciding to bring a bit of salvation to the world. Lovely, nice he's done that. But actually, for Simeon, this is the end. This is what everything's been building up towards. And there's a whole prequel to this. And, and, and I, I suppose even the very fact that we have called this the New Testament means, oh, actually, there is an old one as well, whether that old and new are particularly the best descriptors of this. But, you know, this this is way, 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 way into the story. You know, there's a whole backstory that is is there. And he, and he quotes, doesn't he? He's quoting from various places in Isaiah, I think. Yeah. So his mind is obviously just full of the Tanakh, the law, the prophets and the writings, and it's just full of all these things. And he uses that phrase, doesn't he? looking for waiting for the consolation of Israel so his mind goes straight to Isaiah and there's like a jumble of verses from Isaiah from and again Isaiah would not have been split up into chapters and verses like we have it split up yeah. into chapters and verses it would be it would have been a stream of text which would have been punctuated by bits of poetry so they would have known where these things were on the page on the and when i say page i mean the scroll so he would have yep. gone to bits of isaiah so isaiah 49 verse 6 for us halfway through that verse it says i will make you as the light of the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth go and look at isaiah 52 10 42 6 yep. 60 verse 3 and I, all of those i've got i've got 52 10 up so Take 52, it away. 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So that's very yeah. much, what did he say? For my eyes have seen your salvation that seen you prepared in the presence of all peoples. Yeah. yeah. So there's this anticipation in Isaiah, isn't there? This salvation that's going to come and this light of revelation to the Gentiles. Yeah. yeah where else? So uh, 42, others? 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Yeah. And 
So it's interesting how, you know, he's not saying, right, I'm going to just quote from exactly this verse. He's, yeah. he's merging these themes that he's seen in Isaiah and he's merging them all together into this thought. And this thought is, look, the consolation of Israel is here. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that's a really interesting phrase in itself, isn't it? The, the consolation of Israel. Consolation being comfort, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that reminds me very much of Isaiah, which is the start of this latter part of our, which is comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her, a warfare has ended. And, you know, that, that that's the, the, the start of this section. And it's really what they've been waiting for, isn't it? What Simeon's looking for and and knows that there's something to come, which is comforting. And, and here he's seen it now, the consolation of Israel, comfort yeah. brought to his people. And right in that section of uh, Isaiah, you've got, what we sometimes call the servant songs as well. So these yeah. these references to a servant that's going to come. So his mind has plonked himself right in the bit of Isaiah that is talking about the comfort, the consolation of Israel. It's talking about this character of a servant that's coming to going to do some things. Mm. One explanation or one interpretation of the you know the servant throughout that section of Isaiah, and particularly you know, the suffering servant. The Jewish interpretation typically is this is about, collectively, this is about the, the people of Israel, the people of God. That This is about the Jewish people. They go through suffering, they go through exile, they are the despised and rejected of men and, and that sort of thing. And then they will bring healing because of what their experience is. And it's kind of not wrong, is it? You know, that's kind of what, what's happened to them as a people and experiencing Babylonian exile and then actually later on, Roman exile. But someone like Simeon, as well, there's this complete fulfillment that's going to happen now in this one person. So we've yeah. gone from, you know, the whole world to Abraham to then to Abraham's family narrowed down to Isaac, Jacob, and, and then, you know, this, this family, this nation. And then because of their failure, narrowed right down to this one person now, this culmination of a whole storyline. And, and Simeon sees it. So what you're saying is that, yes, these things can be potentially applied at a national level. And Israel, yes, so to a certain extent. But also Simeon was actually looking for a more specific implementation of those prophecies. And the reason for that was that a lot of the other bits of scripture that he was reading was pointing him in that direction. So it wasn't just Isaiah mm. that he was looking at. He was using the rest of his Hebrew scriptures, so the law, the prophets and the writings, and he was using those to bring his mind to a particular point in history where this individual would come onto the stage. Uh, okay. Yeah, at risk of going off on one of our one of our infamous tangents, Lawrence, where do you think Simeon may have, you know, I'll allow you to speculate. What was he, what was he thinking about? He would have been an avid reader of scripture. The fact that he could literally walk up to Jesus, lift him in the air and start quoting scripture means that he had mm-hmm. it in his head, right? So, and in the tr- Jewish tradition there, they would have learned huge passages and chunks of scripture. Sure, yeah. So he, he would have, I think, gone to the overall structure of the, the, um, the Tanakh. So the whole structure of the Tanakh points us and leads the reader to say something is coming something's not quite finished and something is just about to happen like not just the contents which you can go and look at like you can drop into Isaiah and you can see that but the whole structure 
of the Tanakh is is built in that way to kind of lead the reader into a point of and a peak of anticipation. Should we have a look at an okay. example? Yeah, let's do that. So we've got we've got three sections in the Tanakh. So yeah. how, how does that work? How, do, how does right. that teach us that something's coming? Okay, obviously the first part of the Tanakh is the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of our of our Bible. It's called the Law. It's Genesis through to Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy again is a yeah. fascinating book in its own right. Okay, you can go. Yeah. And we did we did a whole session yeah. on on that. Go to the end of Deuteronomy because. The end of Deuteronomy is the end of this book, and they would have ha- they would have had it as a scroll, and they would have had those f- five books in a scroll, and they would have gone to the end of right at the end of of Deuteronomy, verse chapter thirty four with us, but they would have just literally gone to the end of the scroll. <laughs> yeah, um, and you get a description of the death of Moses, and I and this is it's a really fascinating piece of scripture. Right, so verse five, watch out for the mystery deaths. Okay, the mystery deaths and burials. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to word of the Lord. Remember, who's the last person who has talked about there? The Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. So that's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. (laughs) I love a mystery. So here we have. Um, this uh, character Moses dying. Nobody knows where he's buried. Like he's one of the most famous people in mm. in the whole mm. of Jewish history. Nobody knows where he's buried. Like he went up to the top of a mountain and nobody saw anything of him. It's like a mystery. He's disappeared, mm. and God has somehow buried him in the land of yeah. Moab. Then late, later on, then as well, verse ten yeah. is this kind of. Like, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Yeah. Whom the Lord knew face to face. It's like, that's right. and then that's it. We've, we've, we've lost yeah. Moses. He's, he's gone. We don't know where he went, where he was buried. And we're waiting for someone else. Yeah. And interestingly, it introduces us to Joshua, the son of Nun, who is in the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. Mm, and okay. we're just about, so then you're just about to read Joshua. And then there's a comment saying, well, there's a prophet not like unto Moses has arisen. So obviously mm. Joshua wasn't that person. Yeah. So the end of the end of, of the these first five books is basically leading the reader to go, there's gonna be a prophet like unto Moses, and mm. he's gonna come. Yeah, because that's Deuteronomy eighteen, isn't it? Which which says that there will 18, be a prophet yeah. like Moses. Yeah, yeah, that, that comes. Right. So but yeah, and it so it ends, it's it's signed off by saying, Oh, by the way, we're still waiting. So, so pick pick up the prophets, the scroll of the prophets now, and, and then you start reading Joshua. You know what's going to happen. You know that there's going to be all sorts of ups and downs. But then you get to the end of the prophets, don't you, in Malachi. So briefly, Lawrence, what, what, what goes on at the end of, of Malachi? Well, there's only another mystery death, Dan. It talks about a gentleman called Elijah. And what happened to Elijah? Where, where, where was Elijah buried? Well, that's the, the old chariots of fire thing, isn't it? 
Another mystery death. Yeah. Don't know where he's buried. So we've got the end, the end of the prophets now, referring to a similar situation. Yeah. And in verse four, it says, "Remember the law of my servant Moses and the statutes of mm. his law that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel." So it's basically saying to the reader, "Pop your mind back to the end of Deuteronomy. Go and read the law, and then yeah. I'm going to make a reference to this person coming, who's a mystery death, and it's Elijah." And Elijah mm. is somehow going to connect back the hearts of of the brethren to their father. Yeah, yeah. And and it's going to yeah. magically, well, not magically, it's magically. going to it's going to connect them back together. And that's the end of the prophet scroll. Like you finish the scroll, yeah, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, that's a cliffhanger. Don't leave us there. Yeah, yeah. So, it does feel like there's a very deliberate sort of you know unsatisfactory ending to these sections. Which is, which is really fascinating. It's basically trying to yeah, cl- cl- get you to buy the next the episode, time. isn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, the, well, the next episode is the writings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's the Psalms and Proverbs and the wisdom books, and but it ends with Chronicles, doesn't it? So you know, it it's, this, this is the bit that's completely out of our order. You know, completely different from yeah. the the order in the that we have in our new Old Testament. But Chronicles ends, and I, I, I like this one. This because it's halfway through a sentence, isn't it? Do you want to read it? Take okay. It. You take so it this away. is this is the proclamation of Cyrus, okay? Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, the reason I read it like that is because actually very helpfully in our order Ezra is over the page which is not in the order the Tanakh would be laid out but you, the pro- proclamation is is there it's the end of verse 1 and then verse 2 we've literally just read it word for word and then verse 3 of Ezra 1 whoever is among you of all his people may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord and carries on so basically what Chronicles mm-hmm. has done is retelling from Adam, 1 Chronicles 1, retelling the whole story of the the Tanakh, of the Old Testament, all the way through to the return of exile, and then takes that little bit from Ezra and then says, but it's an unfinished story, so we're going to end halfway through a sentence. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you work that one out when you get to the end of your Tanakh, which, yeah, exactly. which is good, isn't it? Cliffhanger, know. you know, taken to an extraordinary level. So you can see why Simeon would have been in a peak of excitement when he could see these the prophet likened to Moses coming along. He could see this character Elijah, who who's referenced in Malachi. He could see this house being built, all referred to in these last sections of his Hebrew mm. scriptures. And he'd been like, here is Jesus. And this is the key that unlocks all of the unfinished story that I know of when I read my, my Bible. Mm. Um, and it's not just him on his own, is it? So shall we no. dive back into Luke chapter Meanwhile, 2? Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem. <laughs> I'll, I'll carry on reading, shall I? And where are we? 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at that very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem 
So again, you've got Anna here who is waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, just like mm. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And so there was a group of Jews here that were picking their scriptures up and reading it in a certain way that mm. was leading them towards something. And I think it was the correct way. Obviously, it was the correct way of reading <laughs> the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, They were using it not not just for the instruction manual that others looked at it for, but it was sure it was they were using it to to bring their minds to a point in history which would be Jesus coming. And there were other people doing the same thing. So the folks that were around the Dead Sea, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essenes, mm. Mm. they were doing the same thing. And I I believe they thought maybe okay. the leader of their sect was this person mm. who was prophesied. And so people okay were reading scripture and they were seeing that it was culminating and pointing towards a character coming mm. and they were yeah. all searching for an ending yeah mm. and they so they knew there was an ending to come that's right i mean not everyone was doing that like you said so you, you know you got like the pharisees haven't you that that sect which which kind of used their torah in quite a different way you know not not this narrative way but but almost as this stick to, mm. to sort of make sure that we're all Torah observant and mm. therefore let's usher in God's kingdom by doing that. Maybe there's a bit of using the scripture to kind of justify their own power and they were using it yeah, as a justification. Yeah. yeah. And then Sadducees kind of just not accepting the prophets. No, we'll just ditch those. We'll just stick yeah. to the Torah. You know, yeah. it's important. We can't say there was one Jewish way to understand the, the scriptures at the time. There, there, were, there weren't. But the, the way en endorsed here by the fact that Jesus came was this little group of people, Simeon, Anna, and everyone else waiting in the temple, waiting for the redemption and the consolation of Israel. You know, I like thinking of them, you know, they would have been there in the temple daily all the time as much as possible you know there eight days earlier or whenever it was when jesus was born down the road in, in bethlehem and I, yeah. I suppose at that time would have really not not known anything about it just at that moment and there, there he was being born on that a holy night on that yeah. christmas morning they told aren't we that the holy spirit got involved with simeon and uh, so obviously there mm. were, maybe there was some revelation to simeon that this had happened yeah, um, yeah, that's true. So eight days later, yeah. here he is. Yeah. So, you know, the, the typical nativity. So we're back in Yorkshire now <laughs> for this C of E nativity, which, by the way, is, is delightful. You know, I'm not, not cast, casting aspersions here on, on the Yorkshire nativity or, or wherever we could call it. We could be anywhere, couldn't it? <laughs> we could be in <laughs> Warwickshire, couldn't it? <laughs> we could be in Warwickshire, could. Uh, this beautiful, you know, children's nativity play. Nothing wrong with that. Thoroughly biblical in many ways, whether there was three wise men or angels with wings and all that, you know, who, who knows? But it's all about the, the birth of Jesus and, and very often, you know, bringing joy and peace and goodwill to all men and things like that. And and it's really, you know, that's a great start, isn't it? But But what we've sort of thought through is that there's this whole backstory to this. There's a lesser known side to the Christmas story. There's a group of people sitting, waiting for this one to come, for this yeah. prophet like Moses, the one who was going to be the culmination of everything gone before. And that's really what we're all about, isn't it? To try and try and go through the whole of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, to to work out what it's talking about and who Jesus really is and, and rooting him into that 
that story and that narrative is really important. Perhaps helps us guard against some of the maybe more tenuous aspects of a Christmas story, which which are sometimes brought in. But I think it is a challenge for our listeners, maybe, during this Christmas period, to open your Bibles, pick a gospel record, go through the first couple of chapters of the gospel record and try and find characters at the edge of the situation and think about how they would have observed the situation what were they waiting for and what was their hope that they were Mm, looking forward to and what were they experiencing in a day-to-day life like how were they being treated by the religious leaders or by the romans like just go and have a look at the little people go and look at the little people around the edge of the nativity (laughs) story just just make sure you choose either Matthew or Luke, because if you choose one of the others, you won't get a birth narrative at all. So oh, no. <laughs> that's that's important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In this, this season, in this Christmas season, there might be all sorts that that you hear. I mean it might it might just be Santa and the elves, and you're not gonna find that in any of the gospels, of course. But you know, you might hear things like God's come down as a crying baby, God wrapped himself in swaddling clothes and things like that. And you just just gotta ask yourself the question, haven't you, when you're reading through these narratives. Is it trying to communicate that? Maybe I, I won't even answer that. Have, have a look. Take up the challenge. <laughs> Read yeah. these narratives and and think through and and make that lesser known Christmas story more well known. That's yeah. really what what That's we want right. to do. Like Jesus did when he was walking with a couple of disciples away from Jerusalem, he convinced them about himself. He taught the the disciples about himself by using. The three bits of the Hebrew scripture, Mm. you know, when you look at Jesus and then you look at back to your Old Testament, use the Old Testament as a lens on Jesus. How is this chapter or this structure in Psalms or in Isaiah or in in Chronicles or whatever? How is this leading me towards Jesus? How how does that fit into the narrative? Mm. Wise words. Thank you. And thank you very much, Lawrence. This was fun. Yeah, we, we should, should do we it should again. do it more often. We should do it more <laughs> <We> often, Dan. <laughs> we will do this again. We're going to get back and record, a, I suppose, another season of podcasts. We'll see where how it goes. But here we go. Have yourself a lesser-known Christmas story. Really pleased you could you could be here with us. And you might be new to Bible Feed, you know, in this whole sort of massive relaunch of our podcast. This might be the first time you've ever come across us. Um, but fear not, there's a whole whole host of archived episodes ready and waiting at biblefeed.org go and ha- check it out and have a look or you can follow the links to to us on, on social media on Facebook and Instagram and and wherever else thanks a lot and we'll see you next time mm-hmm.